Welcome to the Old School Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. We will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. I'm April. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm really honored to be here today. I love this meeting. I can't get to it very often. Um, now it's time for me to tell you what it, I was like, what happened, what I'm like now, including how and why I stay absent today. So um, I'll just begin by saying that um, somehow I'm really nervous today, which is not usually how I feel about an OA meeting. And so my quick prayer is, hi, God, here I am, God, help me. Thank you. Use me. That pretty much covers everything, right? <laughs> So um, whatever comes out of my mouth is, is the best I can do, and I appreciate you listening. So I came to um, Overeaters Anonymous in December of 1975, and I never have left, but it took me six years to get abstinent. And today I claim 40 years of abstinence. Um, so again, that's six years of hanging in and really not completely hearing maybe not even listening very well to the to what was going on in Overeaters Anonymous. I just knew that these people said honest stuff that I was experiencing was embarrassed about. You know, I thought I was the only one. Um, and my absence has changed tremendously over the years. I So I, I just want to tell you, if you're new to Overeaters Anonymous, please don't leave. Because what I found was at least I had a group of people who understood what I was going through and I could cry and I could, I could be honest about my food going bad and no one was anything but loving to me. Um, so what I kept doing was starting over and over and over. And for me, I'll tell you the way I, I define my abstinence. When I began, my abstinence was very rigid. This is how I learned to be in the program. They say you take a wild stallion and you 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 uh, tie it to a tame stallion, and that's how they learn. And it took me six years to be willing to be tied to a tame stallion, someone who had very rigid ideas of what a food plan was, and that was the only thing that worked. So I don't sponsor that way anymore, and I don't um, I don't work that way anymore, but it was useful to me. I think some people would run to Alaska if they had to weigh and measure their food and um, commit to certain things every day, but that for me was very effective. Uh, it was a precursor to how what I was doing, uh, which for the newcomer is just a very rigid program, which asks you to go to a meeting a day for a certain amount of time and ask you to call a sponsor. So my sponsor would ask me to call at six in the morning, and if I called at 6.01, she didn't answer because I was a very likable child, very likable young woman. And I was, you know, in a classroom, a teacher would feel comfortable that I wasn't going to make any problems. So I was allowed to skate a lot. And that doesn't really work in real life. And that's what I had to learn. I had to learn to be absolutely honest and when I made a commitment to hang on to it. So my my absence as I define it today, again, I have to tell you that it's evolved tremendously, is honesty. I am honest. Every day I write my food down and I send it to my sponsor and I tell her exactly what I'm going to eat and I count calories, something I thought was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard of for decades. But for me that has a useful tool. It's not for everyone. 
And if I'm not sure about some calories, I round up because otherwise I feel like I'm cheating, you know, and I don't want that feeling. I just don't want that feeling. Um, when I go out to dinner, I don't necessarily count calories. So I'll say to my, you know, or when I'm writing it down, I'll say I had a hundred and a thousand calories after up to lunch and, you know, an enchilada Mexican dinner or whatever else. So I'll just, sometimes I'll just commit it and tell her what I had. Um, what happened to me is that, uh, when I went to college, I suddenly gained not the freshman 15 pounds, but more like the freshman 25 pounds or more. And I, what was so frightening to me is I grew up in a family where looks was a high, high valued, highly valued. And I could see that it wasn't just that I was pleasingly plump. It was that every day the way I was eating, I was going to get worse. And so there's a term in the, uh, the AA big book called, um, we call it PAID, paid, which stands for pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And really, it's just a fancy way of saying, when did you hit bottom? What was your bottom? And I can tell you that when I came home freshman year from college, and I had gained a substantial amount of weight so that people who hadn't seen me for a while were shocked, right? Um, so we went to three parties in, I guess it was the holidays, uh, Christmas, Hanukkah. And I was with my sister and my parents in a car, and we went from three party to party. The first one was relatives, and everybody would come up to me. I'm Jewish, and they would come up and pinch my cheek, and they'd go, you're so zoftig, which means chubby or heavy. But they said it in a loving way. But I didn't take it in a loving way because it was as if someone was saying, your hair is green. Well, I know it's green. And I've been thinking about it being green 24-7. Could you not tell me that my hair is green, please? You know, like it was the worst thing in my life that was happening. And people were commenting, which is natural if you haven't had green hair, right? They just need to say it. So I got into the car, went to another party, and that was hard. And finally, the third party, I was weeping in the car. My sister put her arms around me and she said, look, Sue and Bob, who are the hosts of this party, weigh, they must weigh over 300 pounds. They're not going to notice 30 pounds. It'll be fine. She's very, she didn't understand compulsive eating, but she was very loving. So I remember. That's the first six minutes. Okay. So I'll just, I'll just end this part by saying, I remember running up the steps to Sue and Bob's house. Sue opened the door and then she said, oh, April, looks like you've gained about 30 pounds. Because who but a compulsive overeater would understand. They would know. They would put their finger on it. And I'd never been to their house, but I remember running through the hallway to their uh, bedroom and closing the door and throwing myself on the bed where there were coats from all the guests and weeping. And I didn't want to get out because I had been struggling with this for years, but in, in college it just exploded. And Sue wasn't in OA, but she knew a woman who was in OA, and that woman was maybe a couple years older than me. Maybe she was 20, 21. And she came in, and I had seen her the year before, and she had lost 100 pounds. And I needed to see that. So, um, Jack, you don't have my um, my pictures, do you? And if you don't, don't worry about it. Okay. Well, never mind. It's not important. Mark, do you have them? I think I sent them to you. I, if you, if I do, I just uh, have to. I didn't save them on this computer. I'll have them. No, it's not important. Don't worry okay. about it. Okay. I, I, you know, I'll just say that that um, my top weight was about 190 pounds. I'm about five eight, 
And uh, today my, my weight is between 120 to 125 pounds. But again, within OA, my top, that's where I got my top weight, got to my top weight. So what happened? Um, I began to hear what people were saying in Overeaters Anonymous. And I remember I was struggling with try- deciding, do I want this kind of way of eating? Like, it just seemed ridiculous. Like, do people eat this way? And I had three days worth of nightmares. Each one, they were very real and they were um, death. They were all about death. There was a nuclear war and I died. There was a huge fire. and I, There we go. There's one. Um, and the other one is even better. Um, that was my sister's wedding. Uh, there, that, that, see, does that, doesn't really look like me anymore. And I remember being very sad, just very sad. Um, so, and one of the other, so they were all death dreams and they were terrifying. It was a kind of dream that stayed with you all day long. And my, my, uh, therapist at the time said, this is normal when you're thinking about making a transition. It doesn't matter which way you decide. You can decide not to eat that way or you can decide to eat that way. Either way, they'll stop. And I decided to try it and the dreams disappeared. So um, I learned how to go to any lengths. So when I was traveling and I went to Israel, I would I was living on a kibbutz for a while and I would take a, a bus trip into a big city and I would tell them I was visiting my cousin and I would go to the only English speaking meeting at that time in Israel. Uh, when I was traveling, we didn't have uh, phones and we didn't have um, email. I sent a postcard a day back to my sponsor. Um, but I was a perfectionist. And so before this absence started, I kept starting over and starting over, but they, you know, they say that perfect is the enemy of the good. And that's what I've learned. I've learned when I read the literature from Alcoholics Anonymous and um, OA literature, the word honesty is everywhere. And I didn't really see that for decades. But I, for me, that is the most important part of this program, because when I'm not honest, I'm not authentic. I'm not giving you my real self, then I'm not giving me my real self. Um, so here's how how I talk about abstinence. I, I say that everybody has their own fingerprint. And, you know, like for me, medication, I'm my doctor says he, I'm what they call a princess in the pea, which is I react explosively to some medications that don't bother anybody. Or I, I can't have coffee after about. 10, 30, 11 in the morning, or I'll stay up till 3 in the morning. So it's the same way for everything. I've had to learn who I am with food. And so that's why for me, honesty and no sugar and sending off my food every day to my sponsor are methods that help me stay corralled. And, again, it's not for everyone, but that's what I've learned. Um, so... What the form of my email takes is, is in, if you're new to Overeaters Anonymous, the 10 step is basically a daily inventory. What happened? And really it's a journal entry. So I basically write about my day, which helps me think, oh gosh, did I do that? Or I forgot to do this. Or was I, was I that way with her? It helps me see my day. So I'm seeing it as my sponsor is reading it too. And then I uh, write, one of my sponsees said she does this, so I copied her. I forgive myself for blank today. And usually it's nothing. But I have that 
sentence available so I can forgive myself for something if I need to. And then I say, then after that, it's today's little victory. And I get to write whatever it is. Today it was that I walked my dog because I haven't been feeling well. And I took him out for a poop walk. And that had to be enough for today. Um, and then I write five things that I'm grateful for. Again, that was from, from my sponsor. It's so wonderful to end one's day thinking about what I am grateful for. And sometimes it's just, I got a point with my doctor today because he had a cancellation or um, the lights work, you know, or I finally have heat because we didn't have heat for many months. Um, That's the end of the second six minutes. Thank you very much. Um, So here are some of the things I do, um, not in any particular order, but what I've learned to do about food, because I am not like those who find that they can function in the world without ever running to food. That is not me. And I thought I was the only one until I realized I wasn't, until I started going to more meetings and being really honest. And then what comes back to me is honesty. So what I do is my biggest um, help is a delay. I back out of the kitchen. I buy things in single servings. I can't eat peanut butter like a lady. And I know it's not great for the environment, but I, I buy those single packets. Um, I have a favorite cereal, but if I have it in a box next to me, I may have that box. So for me, I measure out a serving, each, each serving and put them in little plastic baggies and put them back in the bag. Um, uh, I also write down my food as I go. Uh, so that I, so for me, I know how much I, I want to stay under 1700 calories every day because that's what keeps me at my current weight. So if I get to more than a thousand calories at, after lunch, then I know that, huh, do I want to have that, those raspberries that I have out? But if I didn't have them, then I could, you know, I would just feel better. And I don't mean to sound obsessive, but I think I kind of am. And may that, that's maybe just what I have to live with. Um, I drink a lot of tea with stevia in it. I have a lot of soft drinks with stevia. And I know one day they're going to find out that stevia is as bad for you as saccharin or aspartame, and I'll deal with it. Um, and then I have a morning ritual, which I know is impossible for young mothers or really busy people in a different time of their life. But I finally understood and claimed my fingerprint as an, I'm not a morning girl. And so when I wake up, I leave our animals outside my bedroom. I make my bed. I meditate. I figure out, I read something from OA literature, and then I let them in. When I, and I wish I could have done that when I had a kid around the house, but I didn't know any better. And I might not have been able to do that. I don't know if it's nice to shut your kid out of your bedroom. <laughs> um, or so another thing I do when I'm having really, really, really want some food is I text someone and I just say the kitchen is closed. And sometimes someone sends, you know, sometimes people send me funny gifts of someone slamming a door. Um, uh, So what do I do now? When I sponsor, I'm trying so hard to learn that sometimes all I need to do is listen to be of service. I don't have to have the answer. And it's a daily process of me going, oh, April, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. Let them talk. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes I can offer my experience, and sometimes it's just enough. Um, 
what, what I say is that I put myself on mute or I hide self-view. You know how you can join a Zoom meeting? I try to hide my self-view. I also set boundaries. I'm a very frightened person. And so I choose to set boundaries with, with a lot of people in a lot of circumstances in my life. So what are the things that keep me abstinent? Service. One way to be of service is to come to a meeting because we need you to hear us. But also we need you to be honest. Tell us what you did. Tell us if you feel bad about something. Tell us if you're frightened. Because just, I went to a meeting yesterday and one of the women, um, I, many of the women are in my age group, I'm 67, and um, she talked about her loose skin. And it was so helpful to have someone just talk about her loose skin because I think about mine a lot, which is so stupid. Thank you very much. Um, I've learned to see the world with fresh eyes in a lot of different ways, but I'll give you an example of how I'm really trying to be willing. I teach through UCLA Extension, and um, I just recently taught a class on uh, just a three-hour class on writing poetry for children. And... um, some of the feedback was very embarrassing to me, which was it was that I hadn't noticed something that I now notice. And I'm grateful for the feedback, but it was so embarrassing. What they said was, so I, this is the first time, this time when I taught it, I thought, oh, I'll show them the pictures of all the poets. That'll be fun because they don't want to see me all the time. I'll show them pictures. And several people said they were all white. And I hadn't even seen that. I was like oblivious. Like it's crazy. And now I was just I was just reading a book of poetry and I was looking at all the faces of all the people who contributed and I said to my husband, see, they're all white, you know. So I'm learning. I'm and I feel like OA has helped me to be more human about that, that it doesn't mean I'm an idiot. It just means this is how I learn. I'll tell you one more secret about me, which is I'm an incredibly slow learner. I'm a writer. I'm not a slow, I'm a slow reader. I'm a slow reader. And there's one book that I have been reading, I swear to God, for 10 years, 11 years. I put it in the toilet. It's a wonderful book. I love it. And I've been very embarrassed to tell people this, which is why I'm telling you this. But I also see like, okay, if I got it 11 years ago, I was 56 when I got it. I don't think I would have gotten the same thing out of it as I do now. It's about writing poetry. And the man is just so brilliant, and I can only take in a little at a time or I get overwhelmed. Time. So, time? All right. So I'm just looking forward to hear, hearing from all of you. And just remember, you, you have to figure out your own fingerprint, which, at least for me, from my point of view, which is hard. It's harder than being told what to do. Thank you.